Hey everyone, and welcome to Slow and Steady, the podcast where you get to follow along as we try to figure out how to build and run a SaaS. Today is October 2nd, and Benedict is on vacation, and I am thrilled to welcome Derek Reimer to Slow and Steady. Derek, welcome, and thanks for doing this. This is fun. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. Uh, completely, completely uh, my pleasure. I, th- I thought it would be really interesting. I-, I hope we have some time to, I mean, do like traditional, uh, traditional for these uh, work, in, work in public podcasts, mm-hmm. but an, an update and just kind of hear, you know, where things are at on Static Kit. And I, I would really love to talk to you about that. But yep. what I think, what I actually think would be really interesting given your, given your experience doing all of this and the fact mm-hmm. that more of this format of show like bootstrap build in public is becoming more like popular and whatever you've yeah. been in it for a while to just talk about that yeah the the experience of building in public so um for for the very small number of people who might possibly be listening to this podcast but don't listen to <laughs> art of product can you can you just give like the 45 second journey of yeah. Drip level and uh, sure thing. Etiquette. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I've been software engineer for the last 10 years or so and mostly just kind of building, um, building startups. Um, and so I think, yeah, I'm probably best known for as the co-founder of drip, um, with alongside Rob Walling started that back in uh, end of 2012 and built that for a while, a long time in startup years. <laughs> and, um, and eventually were uh, acquired by lead pages in 2016. And along the way, I also built uh, another product called code tree and sold that um, also around the same time that the drip exited. And so, yeah, I've been kind of on that journey for a while. Um, and during that time kind of started getting into podcasting as well. I actually started out with um, Ben Orenstein on the giant robots smashing another giant robots podcast. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> um, a great name. Yeah. Thoughtbots, um, Thoughtbots podcast while Ben was still there. Um, so I joined him as a co-host there for, uh, I think it was like 30 or so episodes. And then um, when he moved on from Thoughtbot, we decided to spin it out into into its own thing and that's when mm-hmm. art of product was born and we just uh, just crossed over 100 episodes so yeah. it's crazy how fast time goes i mean it doesn't it doesn't really feel like it's been that long but when you yeah. add up total number of episodes it's like wow we've been doing this a while a lot. so yeah yeah well and and so then along the way there you you struck on this idea of of building level and yep yeah so can you just talk about sure talk about yeah that experience a little bit yeah, so Level was a product that I set out to build um, right after I left Drip. So this was March of last year, and um, it was kind of born out of the kind of the the problems that I observed with workplace communication, especially once um, you know I felt it personally once we moved from our kind of team of nine ish before acquisition to a team of 150, and like you know like a lot of modern companies. Um, we were kind of piping all communication through Slack. It was Mm -hmm. like the the default mode of communication. And it was just a mess, like chaotic things were disorganized, threads were not being used properly or or well, you know, and um, things were getting lost. People would DM me or or hit me up in multi-person DM groups and it's so easy to lose information. And I'm just like, how can this possibly be better than than email? I mean, I know it has a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of benefits, especially for remote teams who try to maintain like 
closeness and kind of that tight knit uh, community aspect. So there's, you know, there's pros to it, but definitely a, a lot of cons. And so that's kind of how the idea for level was born is like, how can we rethink, um, you know, workplace communication in a way where it kind of keeps the good parts of Slack, but also at layers on some good parts of email mm-hmm. and, you know, create this kind of alternative platform. And I kind of started out with like a manifesto I published um, just to kind of kick off the conversation around this idea. And that got a lot of attention, a lot of buzz, a lot of people joined, hopped on an email list. Um, and I had kind of been feeling that there was a little bit of a groundswell among early adopters, or people who would be early adopters in this space, you know, kind of talking about how Slack is, is bad. Like you would just see you would kind of see like little tweets here and there or little like think pieces people would publish on medium. Like they were just kind of starting to pop up more and more. So I'm like, I think there's a, I think there's a trend here. I think there's a wave that maybe I can, I can hop on to. Yeah. And so I kind of, I did Mike, I did what I thought was good customer validation, (laughs) got a lot of feedback, got a lot of people on a list, like all the metrics looked good. The signals looked good. Um, And of course, as it turns out, this is a massive product problem to solve. So it was a, I spent a good nine months or so building, just working on the core, you know, version, first version of the product, which was Mm -hmm. not multi-platform to start with. It was web only and, you know, dealing with like building a real-time communication tool because it it had real-time aspects to it. So, you know, that, that is non, non-trivial from an engineering perspective to, Mm -hmm. it's easy to get to 80 to 90%, but getting that last 10% of reliability is, is tough. Um, Yeah. And so I just spent a lot of time learning, you know, learning some new technologies to make this work, you know, building a single page application, which I'd never really done at scale before to try to eventually provide offline support and just all kinds of like new things. And so it was a great experience from like learning wise, but um, it kind of hit the reality hit me pretty hard when I started to roll it out to what I thought was the most, um, you know, the people who who wanted the product the most, and I even pre-sold, you know, $2,000 worth of um, licenses for Level. And like, it turns out almost all of them weren't actually in a position or didn't actually feel the problem badly enough to switch off of Slack. Yeah. Uh, you know, they wanted 99% of Slack and 1% of it fixed. And so, um, so I kind of had, like, I came to a tough decision point. Like, am I going to keep forging ahead with this and trying to continue to, you know, build out product as rapidly as I could and hope that it will get to the point where enough people will be willing to switch or is this not the best thing for a solo bootstrapper to be working on? And that's when I kind of made the hard decision that, um, you know, all factors combined, like this is not, not the best use of my time resources, my runway, all that. So that, that had to have been a really hard decision to come to and you're, I mean, you were pretty open and vulnerable about it. Yeah. Yeah. So how, how much of the fact that you had been doing this in public, sharing it in public, talking about it in public, yeah. how much of that weighed into your decision of, is this how I should or should not be spending my time? Yeah. I mean, it definitely, it will definitely stung a little bit. Like I have to, I mean, get, I've gotten so used to sharing the, the good parts and the bad parts. Like I try to do my best of representing the the full picture um as best i can on the podcast every week so it was it was not easy but i it was something i was accustomed to like being able to just talk about failure um openly and um it's interesting i actually as soon as i came to the conclusion that like okay this is i feel like 
this is the right move for me to set this aside. I actually, first, before I made my final, final decision, I went up, I went up north in, in Minnesota up to, the, up to Lake Superior, kind of a nice getaway. Okay. I was sitting in a cabin on the lake and I was like, you know what, before I officially call this, I'm going to try to write down, like put pen to paper or finger to keyboard or whatever <laughs> um, and, and like write down what is my rationale behind this and can I, will this actually turn into an interesting, you know, story and an interesting like thing for the community to learn from my experience. Yeah. And I actually got a little bit excited about that. Like, like I feel like there's an, there is an interesting story to tell here because I feel like I, I tried to pay attention to a lot of the best practices and do things the quote unquote right way. Um, and yet here, here I was so, like staring down potentially a, a failed, you know, product launch after a year, like, mm -hmm. like how did I get here? So I needed to dissect that for myself and to be able to like, feel really confident that I wasn't pulling the plug too early. Um, and so I sat down, wrote that. It took a couple of days. It's pretty long and it's up on my blog, DerekReimer.com. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll link to it if you haven't yeah. already listened to or read it, listener. It's, it's really good. Yeah. So I kind of just outlined, you know, started with like, what happened? What was the, what was the trajectory like? And then pulling apart, like, what are the things that went wrong despite what I thought went right? Mm -hmm. And um, and once I finished writing that, I was like, yep, this is really clear to me. You know, if I were advising somebody else in my position, like this is what I would advise them to do. And so I felt at peace with it. And, yeah. and I actually felt like, like the, the response I got from launching that post, um, was really encouraging and definitely like set aside, like counteracted any of the, you know, ego blow or the, you know, mm, sting from, good. yeah, from, um, doing all this stuff in public and then having it fail, you know? Yeah. Well, uh, so I'm just kind of curious what your, what, what's your take on the pros and cons of doing this? What advice would you have for, for me and yeah. for Benedict who are, you know, in the position of, yeah, don't, we're still trying to figure it out. Um, yeah. but I'm just going to talk about it and process it out loud along the way, what, what yeah. advice do you have? Well, I think there's, there's very little reason not to, especially in the early stage. Like I think a lot of people, people's initial reaction is like, um, you know, well, what if, what if people are listening to you and they start like your competitors start like stealing all your ideas. And it's like, yeah. we all know how cheap ideas are, <laughs> you know, like you'll even find people, I regularly see people like posting free startup ideas on Twitter. Like it's not, these are not things that That's are sacred. Not the hard part. That's not the hard part at all. Um, and so I think, especially in the early days, you have very little to lose by, by being open, but there's quite a bit to gain. Like, I think there's a potential to, it's not guaranteed, but there's a potential to, um, you know, start building up trust among, um, among the people who might be your customers. Right. Um, and it doesn't, I think the benefits don't even have to extend all the way to, you know, your potential people converting into customers. I think there's something to be said for just contributing more data into the ecosystem, you mm -hmm. know, of like, this is, I'm another person doing this and I'm outlining my you know, week by week or however, whatever your cadence is, you know, I'm, I'm outlining how I'm thinking through these problems, how I'm approaching them. And I think there's, you know, there's a lot of benefit in just kind of telling your story and, you know, like I, I kind of like this distributed thought leadership as opposed to like <laughs> a few people sitting up on their, on the t high mountain, you know, telling everyone how yeah. everything should be done. Because I think there's yeah. just so many, there's so many different paths and so many different ways to approach these startup things that we're all trying to do, especially mm -hmm. as bootstrappers. Like it's so easy for us to get caught up in listening to the, the loud voices, which are the, 
you know, the venture back startups and the Paul Grahams of the world. And not that they don't have good things to say, but it's just for a very different type of yeah. company. And so, yeah. And, and for, and for any given topic that you might be facing, right. It's much, it's so much more helpful mm-hmm. to hear somebody talk about it in depth for, you know, quote in depth for 20 minutes. Yeah. who is in your context in your like actual year yep. Yep. <laughs> for one, but also size of company and yeah. dealing with that. I keep, I, I keep waiting for there to be like a, uh, like an IMDB of podcast episodes mm-hmm. where we can like, we can go in there and like go by tag. Okay. Customer yeah. acquisition, like wh- which podcast has this been covered on and mm-hmm. where can I listen to it? So that's what, that's what feels really helpful about. And I'm, I'm surprised that Benedict and I are already like 11 ish or however many, whatever I said uh, episodes in because it has gone really, really fast. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've felt that experience that you're talking about of like, yeah, it feels good to like put something out there. It also feels a little bit like a diary, you know, Mm -hmm. so to speak. Do you ever go back and listen to old art of product episodes when you're facing a particular issue and, like, you know, I haven't, I haven't done a lot of that, but I've been considering doing it. I know Ben talked about this recently that he's been, he's been, my co-host has been doing that and, and listening back through like some of our early catalog stuff. And he's like, it's, it's just funny to hear kind of what we were going through at that time and what the thought yeah. process was and how his thought process has evolved. Um, it's kind of, yeah, it is pretty interesting to do. And I've, I've thought about this too. Um, it is a great thing to have um, just to, to have it kind of documented somewhere like what what your mental state was through the process like I think it's I think it can yeah. be a healthy thing to to revisit and I know like when when Rob and I were building drip we didn't we didn't document it like publicly on a podcast every week but we did mm. record um we recorded for about a year year and a half um every week or every other week or so we would we would hop on and just record audio and then Rob ended up stitching that together um into like a kind of a a mini audio documentary about the building of drip is is i i've not seen is that public now it is yeah i think it's oh, um I, I think it's a startup stories podcast maybe it might be on like podcast players we'll we'll find a link oh to my it gosh. yeah I, I don't know how i have missed this one <laughs> i'm getting ready to have a binge for the weekend, i think so <laughs> yeah so i think it was like 20 hours of audio or something compressed yeah. down into a few hours and it just kind of you know stitched together telling the story and and that was that was really cool i've thought about doing something similar for um, you know, for products and stuff that I talked mm-hmm. about on, on AOP. So yeah. do y'all, do you ever worry, do you ever, like ever worry about o- oversharing mm-hmm. or I guess, I, I guess what I'm asking is how do you think through striking the balance between being transparent, honest, this is really me. I'm really going through this. Yeah. And, uh, there's, there is a degree of oversharing that's just not appropriate for the medium. Yeah. Your thoughts. Um, I think, I tend to err on the side of reminding myself that most things don't matter. Most things can be shared, but I think there is, there's a line for sure. Um, I think something that I actually am more concerned about is sugarcoating things or only telling Mm -hmm. the positive side of things. Um, I actually was, was kind of observing this. I'm so I'm like a member of the indie hackers community. Right. And they recently started sending um, like milestone emails or whatever, like, every day I started getting this email of like people talking about those. stuff. Yeah. And I don't know something about it. Like I, I get what they're trying to do and it's kind of an interesting concept, but something about just getting like an email where people are constantly talking about like just good things that happened. 
Um, yeah. I started to feel a very similar effect to like what, like I got off, I've been, I'm off a lot of social media. I don't have a Facebook account anymore. I don't really have, I have an Instagram account just for like really close friends. Like I'm, mm-hmm. and Twitter is, is, is tricky for me because it's such a industry hub <laughs> for us, you know? Um, but I think if it wasn't, I would probably be off Twitter too, because I think this just kind of insidious quality of, um, of social media is that it's really bad for mental health. Like it just comparison. Yeah. Yeah. And so seeing like a steady stream of just like people constantly celebrating good things. I'm like, where's the other side of the story, you mm-hmm. know? And, mm-hmm. and so I'm always thinking about that. Like, how can I represent what's going on fairly? And so it's tricky. I think, um, I, it would be bad if these podcasts just turn into, you know, humble brag over humble brag, you know, like, yeah. um, that's not what I would want it to turn into. Um, so there's that element to it. I think there's also an element of when you get further along, um, you know, things like competition can be a concern. I think it's valid um, at a certain point to start worrying about like, how much am I saying? Like if I, uh, if I, if I'm building, you know, if I'm getting further along in my product and I unlock some traffic channel that that's working really well for me um, or I figured out, say I say I'm running an SEO strategy and I figure out like a set of keywords that are really, you know, (laughs) working well, I'm probably not, I'm not going to say exactly what they are, you know, Um, because that would just be, that would not be wise. Um, So I think there's a certain level of detail that is appropriate. And then beyond that, it's like, you're just, um, it doesn't really benefit anybody except for if your competitors are listening and want to start, you know, stepping on your toes. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so I think that's, it's important. I always, I do think about like, if I'm going to share an update about something, is there something about this, the the level of detail I'm providing that is general, can be generalized or can be actually helpful to people? Or is this just, is this so specific to what I'm doing that it wouldn't be helpful? And that's kind of where I draw the line for myself. Mm -hmm. That's a, that's a really interesting line to think about. Um, Am I, only sharing this because I want to brag. Yeah. I'm only sharing this because I'm just processing some therapy out loud. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But to try to find some way to to make it uh, that it that it offers up some knowledge. Um, yeah. Or, or strategy. And I do say like I always like to say that on on our podcast we don't we generally aren't sharing advice. Like I'm not trying to package up like I've learned something new about how to do X, Y, or Z. And this is like, mm-hmm. like, I'm not trying to provide an educational podcast because I feel like the more I learn, the more I realize that there's so much nuance to a lot of this stuff. And it's, it's actually, I'm very leery about like giving generalized advice. Yeah. You know, I'm pretty much like, this is what's, this is what's working for me this week. Um, and maybe there's something that can be generalized here, yeah. but this, this is all raw unedited. So I'm just trying not to like, say like, I've unlocked the secret on how to do whatever, uh, yeah. you know? Yeah. It's not, it's really unsatisfying, but it's true that like every piece of advice should begin with, it depends and it yeah. should end with your mileage may vary. And like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, right. it's a bummer because I was, I was just having a conversation on uh, the Mega Maker Slack community before this, mm-hmm. where I was like trying to think through some framework with, with, you know, one of the other uh, people in there. And it was yeah. like, man, there are just so many contextual th- things that are important about this person's context that they're asking about that. Yeah. They, there's, there's not a formula mm-hmm. that you can just say idea, run it through the grinder and you've got a functioning business on the other side. Like, yep. It just doesn't, just doesn't work that way. Yeah. 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 I think, but, yeah. 
that's, I was, I was going to say like back to the, um, back to those indie hackers emails. Mm-hmm. I, I know the ones you got that we're talking about because I started getting them or I was getting them too. Yeah. And there was this moment, I, you know, where I was like looking at my email in the morning and the milestone was somebody, you know, launched five days ago to, you know, 1000 MRR or five, right. whatever it was. I don't remember the exact numbers, but it was basically yeah. launched five, five days ago. And now and I just I like felt like so just deflated yeah and like what's what's wrong with you Brian like Mm -hmm. like why why aren't you and I had that that same process that you're talking about there of just remember this is highly curated Mm -hmm. side of the story there's a reason that they chose this thing to email so I'm with you like I think it's that's what I've enjoyed so much about AOP and yeah like your (laughs) very recent story in particular yeah. is like this is not always pretty and right. it's it's doing a disservice to just like sugarcoat everything and, and act like everything's hunky-dory so, yeah i mean it's basically i mean i think it's almost safe to say that it's never pretty you know like that's one of those things like um where i can where i'll almost use a a never an absolute term like that <laughs> because um because it's just think about like like if you if you had a you know a close friend of yours was building up to the point where they launched a product and got to a couple thousand dollars in MRR, like if you knew that person personally and you had been following along with their story at, at, at having like an actual relationship with that person, then you of course you would be very ecstatic for them because you know the <laughs> you know the whole story. But like just getting these tid, tidbits of curated things that make you like it's your brain almost assumes like this is an overnight success and I'm a failure because I'm not. You know, like it starts yeah. filling in all these unhealthy gaps. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's a major problem with social media in general. And I think it's potentially a problem with just kind of a stream of positive milestones only. It's like mm-hmm. you're not getting the full story. And that's yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, what what are your thoughts on this this format of podcast and mm-hmm. like the regular check-ins? Like what what degree of it do you do you consider it to be like an accountability? Hmm. um like accountability partner accountability like just yeah milestone or what or not milestone but that's gonna happen on a regular basis what are your Mm -hmm. thoughts on that well i think i mean for me it's it has turned it whether it was intended to be or not like it it is something that i that weighs on my mind every week i'm like Mm -hmm. what's what's my update going to be this week i think it's a i think it's a good amount of positive pressure to make forward progress i mean i think similar to having you know like a check-in with, with a boss or a, you know, or a check-in with an investor or something like, I think it's, it's just, you want to, you want to tell a compelling story and have forward progress evidence. I think it's good to have, have those things and not just be in a cave where there's absolutely no accountability. Um, You know, I think setting arbitrary deadlines is not, is not good, but I think this is a, this is a good way of kind of, you know, allowing, giving yourself a mechanism to hold yourself accountable to certain things. and it's like, yeah, if I, if I don't have anything to talk about on the podcast this week, then that's probably a good sign that I'm not, you know, diligently using my time well, um, yeah. you know, so. Yeah, it has, it has struck me as a good forcing function Yeah, that is, that is not a tyrant yeah. either. Like, yeah. it, in the end, it kind of is okay if I don't have a whole lot to report, mm-hmm. but um, I would much rather have something to talk about, good or bad, like we were just saying, I mean being able yeah. to share something that you tried that didn't work out is 
it's just it's good it's you right. learn something new you're it's, it's some it's some kind of progress it's not status quo yeah and if there was no progress then there's probably there's probably a, a side of the story to tell that's not all positive and that's that makes interesting radio too i think i mean it took me a while to become convinced of that that like people actually like hearing kind of the the little therapy sessions that we have yeah. <laughs> but i think it is i think people do enjoy those and like you can often pull interesting threads out of that that's almost more interesting than just hey i had all these great things happen this week you know it's mm-hmm. like there's there's a lot to learn in the and that, yeah, I haven't been sleeping well this week or I've been sick this week and this is what I had to do to try to overcome it, you know? And I think there's, there's interesting stuff in that too. How, how has that process been for you learning what makes for good radio mm-hmm. and how much about that do you think about on a week-to-week basis? Yeah, I think it's, um, it's hard to force. Like, I think I've just gotten, um, you know, kind of better at just being comfortable on the mic every week um you know starting out i think i was very i feel like i was very stiff and like not like it just took me a while to get used to it and yeah and so i think it's just a skill that takes practice um but yeah i think um just trying to go in and pretend like we're not recording and pretend like it's just a conversation like that makes i feel like that makes the best radio is when it's a fluid free-flowing conversation um you know it doesn't feel like an interview or it doesn't feel like a you know something where I'm having to prepare for it a bunch. Um, Yeah. So it's just been a a process over time. Yeah. Cool. So can you just kind of give an update on static kit? Uh, It's what you're working on now. And yeah. Yeah. So, yep. So static kit came about midsummer. So I, you know, after level wound down, that was in May when I officially kind of pulled the plug on it. Mm -hmm. And then um, I kind of spent, spent a little while thinking about, uh, thinking through like, what do I, what do I want to build? What am I, what have I learned from level that will influence, you know, how I go about deciding to do something in the future. And, um, and I did, I did a little bit of blogging after that, which was good. It was, it was kind of following in the same path that I took with the, with the, the retrospective piece, which is just like, let me think through on, you know, in writing how I'm going to, you know, go about choosing my next thing. So I came up with some criteria for myself, like, you know, I don't want this, um, this product, the MVP should be quick to quick to develop and ship. Um, it shouldn't be, you know, so mission critical that, you know, businesses like running their entire business on the thing. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't be like, uh, you know, require um, native apps across, you know, mobile and web platforms and desktop platforms. Like, I don't want to maintain a bunch of code bases. So I came up with kind of this list of criteria and then tried to just... Um, tried to control my level of stress and like <laughs> anxiousness to get something going again and just kind of give myself time to think and breathe and, and, you know, kind of put my ear to the ground and see what, what are, what are some markets that I have access to that have a need that, that I can tackle from a unique angle and, yeah. and, st- and enter the market. And it's, it's hard. I mean, I, like there's, I don't know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of good solid advice in the community that's been floating around. I mean, Justin Jackson's been a good voice lately, just kind of beating the drum about like, you know, finding like Mark serving markets and, and not coming up with ideas, but searching for problems. And like, he's been a very good voice in that respect. And like, I've been trying to, you know, it's been a good reminder whenever I read a blog post of his and like internalizing that, but it's also been like, it's frustrating too, because it's like these, these are inherently hard things to find, like finding a market that 
has a, a gap that is worth filling that you have access to and that, you know, on and on and on and fits all your criteria is, it's tricky. Um, and that's why there's not, you know, hundreds of successful startups being cranked out every day. You know, it's like, yeah, right. so there's a bit of art, art and science to finding that. Um, and so, yeah, I started kind of, um, I had this idea in my back pocket for a while. Like I've been a fan of, of static sites, um, you know, basically as opposed to using a content management system like WordPress, you know, using a, a static site generator. And there's tons of these now and more every day being built um, to basically, you know, build a website in a, in a, you know, version controlled code base and run it through a build process and generate static files. And then you mm-hmm. can, that leads to all kinds of benefits, like really performant hosting and really secure, a really secure website and on and on and on. There's all the yeah. benefits. Yeah. And so um, the first, so the first thing of the in static kit that you've launched with it mm-hmm. that I'm using on my Statomic oh, nice. uh, yeah. uh, site is forms, yep. um, which like any, any developer, like, like, really good backend developer that's about to hear me say this is going to roll their eyes. Yeah. It's like mail, mail forms on <laughs> sites are really hard. <laughs> um, they're, they're at least annoying. Yeah. Um, and so uh, I, I was on, I was using a static kit from like day one. Oh, that's awesome. Um, yeah. And so, so that's, that's interesting. Um, it's also though in the name static mm-hmm. kit, mm-hmm. not static form. So you obviously right. have other ideas yeah. that, that you're going to be rolling into this. So how are you going about that process of yeah. validation and discovery? Yeah. So that's, that's kind of, that's exactly how I've been thinking about it. Like, like forms itself is it's, there's tons of these little services out there that offer form endpoints, you know, right. Ben Orenstein used to run one called form keep at ThoughtBot. Um, <laughs> there's probably 15 other ones. I just the other week, like someone was, someone did a roundup post of these and like, there were like a couple on there I'd never heard of until I read this blog post. So it's right. like, wow, there's a lot of these out there. So, I mean, that's kind of a, it's, it's a crowded space. I still think there's, um, it's interesting cause there's, it's a problem. It's a known problem. It's well-defined. Um, and I think there's an opportunity to execute really well on it, especially for different environments, all these static site generators that's coming cool. out. How can you make the experience really smooth? Mm-hmm. And so I intentionally went for, you know, something that I could, I could build the product within, you know, a month or whatever and, and kind of relentlessly refine, refine it, which I'm kind of s- still going through right now. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to make the developer experience really, really good, really top notch. Um, but it's like the product is essentially feature complete for like a majority of the use cases out there. So now, now I get to really think about, you know, how can I get distribution for this thing? How can I get it in front of the right audiences, get people using it? Um, I get to, really focus a lot of my energy on kind of getting traction and doing marketing things because product is, is definitely keeping up as opposed to level where like I was always behind the eight ball on product. Like there was always so much to build on product and so many of people's objections would be like missing product features. And at this point, that's not really the case with static kit. Um, I mean, it's still new, so there's, I don't have a ton of awareness right now, but I get to focus my effort on that. And that is, is that why you're focusing on awareness and not on building the second yeah. piece of the kit? Yeah, that's that. So that's been a, I I've been considering like I still don't know the right answer to this. Like, when is the right time to to start building out the toolkit? But I mean, because mm-hmm. so the vision is to for it to be like the perfect complement to your static site generator to be to basically build 
the equivalent of what you could do with WordPress or Squarespace or Wix or one of the other site builders, you know? Yeah. So, um, so form collection is a big one, being able mm -hmm. to put any kind of forms on your site. Um, think, you know, there are other things like, uh, web analytics and, um, you know, payment, simple payment collection and, and search. These are all kind of ideas that are, that are kind of floating around there. Authentication, you know, being able to put restrict access, restrict a page on your website. Um, so there's a bunch of different areas that, that this could go. Um, but I'm, I'm trying not to rush into anything too quickly. Okay. And so I think I, where I've settled on it for now is that I'm trying to, trying to get a nice base of paying customers for the form solution today. And, um, you know, and, and then bolster the the kind of free side of the business too, where there's, you know, I want to, I want to see a lot of people coming in using the free plan and just kind of get, get more awareness around it. And then I can hopefully kickstart more meaningful conversations and figure out like, what do, what do developers who are building static sites in-house need? What do agencies who are building static sites for clients, what do they need? And um, yeah, I'm kind of, since I built the product first, I'm kind of using this, this first tool as that conversation starter yeah. to get people in the door as opposed to just like putting a, a vaporware landing page up and then trying to spark these conversations. Um, right. So right. on the, I think it was the most recent episode of, of art of product. You were mentioning how um, your your paying customer base, it's still like small and growing. Yep. But you, you had a, you've got a new, you've got an annual plan now. Like yes. it, it does, it feels like, um, that, that you've got some momentum going in that direction. Does it, does it feel like qualitatively different to you than the early bits of level where you had 2000, you mentioned earlier, like a couple mm -hmm. thousand dollars worth of like pre-sales or whatever. Mm -hmm. Do you have a, like a feel that it's different or are you still just working through it? Um, it feels, it feels definitely, definitely different <laughs> in good ways. Like yeah, the numbers are much smaller. Like I don't have, you know, I don't have thousands and thousands of people on a list. Like the level list got up to almost 7,000 people, I think. Yeah. But, but I think what that, what that taught me is that there's a difference between people who are actually like genuinely a good fit to become paying customers of your product and people who are just, um, just a fan of you or a fan of what you're doing or just kind of interested. Um, yeah. and that is, that is a, um, potential hazard of doing this building in public mm -hmm. thing that I think everyone should be aware of too, that like you're, you're getting a lot of people invested in you and your story and that's, that's good, but that also can lead to a lot of false signals. Like if you, you could end up with, you know, a good chunk of your podcast listenership on an email list for the product you're building and maybe only a tiny slice of those would actually be a good fit. And so on the one hand, you kind of don't, you kind of don't want those people on your early access list if they're not yeah. really, you know, well targeted. And so I, I almost feel like it's when you're, when you, when you don't really have an audience or you're not well known, it's almost easier to get, um, you know, if you start working traction channels and start getting like targeted traffic to your product or to your landing page and you start getting people on the list there, the numbers are going to be a lot smaller, but they might be a lot better targeted and you might, you might just have conversion. less noise. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like there's, I feel like this has been less noisy in that regard. Like, um, you know, the people who I'm definitely getting people who just kind of know who I am from the podcast or whatever, signing up and and not really converting in any respect. Like mm -hmm. that's still happening, but the, it's happening a lot less than it did with level because I haven't, I haven't been hyping it quite the same as I did. Like I kind of just went out 
guns blazing with, with level <laughs> and like, here's the manifesto and like, like working the hype machine. And, uh, that didn't, that didn't really work out to my favor, you know, yeah. like just because there's, you can get a lot of people on a list doesn't mean that they're actually going to convert. So cool. Yeah. Well, so, um, we'll go ahead and wrap this up, but, uh, yeah, any, what's, what's, what's next? Uh, what should we expect to start seeing in the near future on static kit and yeah, so some good, exciting things in the works right now. Um, I just launched a integration with Zite, one of the one of the kind of big two static site hosting providers. Um, and so that's really really cool to see. Cool. And I have I have some other um, similar things in the pipeline. So so that's um, that's exciting, and I'll be interested to see what what the returns are on kind of um, you know awareness and distribution from that. Yeah. Um, and then I have, yeah, I also have another cool um, product feature that I'm, I'm being a little bit light on the details about it right now. <laughs> um, that's kind of, I kind of draw the line a little bit on that one, yep. but yeah, um, speaking of, yep. <laughs> but it's, uh, I think it's going to be really um, a really exciting iteration on, on how to like configure your static site resources. So, okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Intriguing. We'll yeah. see. <laughs> All right. Hey, Derek, it was a pleasure to, to meet you. And thanks for, thanks for hopping on the show. Um, yeah. I'll continue to be a fan. So thanks awesome. again. Man. Thanks for having me.